And uh, Elvis, come on up. He's going to be our scripture reader this morning. And uh, great name, Elvis. His, his shoes are not blue, just in case you're wondering. They're not blue or suede. But he's going to read the scripture for us this morning. He, he gave the devotion yesterday in the men's meeting. Yes. Good job. And we had a good turnout, good group of men. Really, God was really involved in that. We appreciate you bringing that message. All right, read, let's uh, follow along on the screen as Elvis reads aloud. Thank you, Brother Elvis. <clears throat> Bizarre passage, right? I mean, some strange stuff. Demon-possessed guy, chains, pigs. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But this is also a very serious passage. Because it's talking about, a, in some ways, to some people, a scary issue. Demon possession. It's real. And there is a spiritual battle going on. And in, if we could peel back and God let us see what's going on in the spiritual dimension right now, 
There's warfare going on. There are the angels of the Lord who are here to protect us, and there are the demons of hell who are here to kill, steal, and destroy. And you know what our best weapon against them is? It's the Word of God and prayer. The Word of God and prayer. So we just read the Word of God. They don't like that, and we're going to pray. But I seriously want each one of you to pray silently and ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what God has to show you this morning because Satan would love nothing more than to distract you, to confuse you, and to just mess up with your mind right now. So why don't you pray silently, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment and ask God for help with this. Father, we know that the weapons of this warfare are not carnal. We cannot fight this battle with psychology or willpower. We can only do it through the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, and speaking to our Heavenly Father. So, Father, we pray that right now that you would reign in this place, that you would push back the devil and his demons who would want to confuse, and that we would see the truth with anointed eyes this morning. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, we saw last week, when you combine chapter 4 and chapter 5, you got Jesus is God over the seed. What is the seed? What's the seed? It's the word of God, right? And then we also saw when, the, when they were in the boat and the storm came in and the boat was about to sink and Jesus is asleep at the helm, at the stern, and we saw that he got up and what did he say? Peace, be still. And it was an amazing calm like never before. And so Jesus is God over the storm. Jesus is God over sickness. And we will see here today that Jesus is God over spirits. So those four things, the whole point of these two chapters, and really the whole point of the book of Mark is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Um, he has authority over the natural. Remember the, the pigs and then we, the storm. But he's also got power over the supernatural. And he's trying to show that he is God over both realms. In verse 1 it says, hey, let's go over to the other side. The western bank of the Sea of Galilee was for Jews. The eastern bank was for Gentiles. You don't go over to the other side. That's just, you, if you're, they were racist, very racist. You think people are racist today. <laughs> Back then it was so bad. I mean, they literally would walk on the other side of the street to get away from people like that. And it was, they, but Jesus said, hey, you know where we're going to go? We're going to go to the other side. We're going to take the gospel over to them. And you see here garrisons, sometimes you'll see gergesenes, sometimes you'll see gatherings. It's no contradiction. It's at different times cities change names in history. Remember like under the Soviet Union, it, the, one of the cities was Stalingrad, but before that it was St. Petersburg. And then when the, 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 the Iron Curtain fell, it went back to being St. Petersburg. And so in different times of history, cities have changed names. You've seen that happen even in, in America. And that's what happened here. There's no, there's no contradiction, just in case you're wondering about the differences there. Um, it says, Math, Mark's favorite word is immediately. In this short little book, 16 chapters, he mentions the word immediately 41 times. And here it happens again. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately this guy... This demon-possessed guy came out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. Now, um, he says no one could bind him. This guy had superhuman strength, which often goes along with demon possession. And no one could even bind him, which they tried. At one point, they had bind him because it says they couldn't bind him anymore, which shows us that demon power can grow. And it can get worse. You think, 
oh, I'm just going to dabble with this black side of, of the world, and I'll just kind of dabble in a little bit. No, no, no. You will go in and not be able to get out. You will go in, and it'll get worse and worse and worse, and you can see this happening where in this guy's life. And this guy was unclean in four ways. Now, to be unclean to a Jew is just like the worst thing in the world, okay? You could become unclean because you had leprosy. You could become unclean because you came in contact with dead people. You could become uncontact, uh, unclean because you came in contact with blood or if you had sin in your life. And what that meant was for seven days, you couldn't go worship in the temple. So to be unclean was not a good thing. And this guy is not just unclean one way or two ways. He's unclean, unclean in four ways. He's unclean because he lives in Gentile territory. Those people were considered unclean. And then he lived among the dead. So not only did he have contact with one or two dead people, he lived amongst dead people and everything associated with death. And he lived amongst pigs, okay? Bacon sandwiches were not a good thing to Jews, okay? That was unclean. And he lives where there's pigs nearby. And then the fourth thing, he has an unclean spirit. So in the spiritual world, there are clean spirits, which would be the angels that are to minister to us, to help us, to guide us, to protect us, but there are unclean spirits. And unclean means in the worst way, something that is uh, uh, disgusting and ab abominable. Um, it said he had shackles and chains. Now, these shackles and chains were for his protection because he was taking rocks and he's just gouging himself and he's cutting himself, which is interesting that that, that is... That is more than just a psychological problem, cutting. It's a spiritual problem. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every girl or guy who suffers from cutting is demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there's a spiritual problem going there. It could be demonic influence. It, it, it could not be. It could be a psychological problem. But it's a, overall, either way, it's a spiritual problem. But these shackles and chains were meant to protect him. But what does demon power do? It breaks the things that are meant to protect you. So when Satan offers to try to help you and you think you might want to buy into it, it's, it's a bad situation. I know of a situation just even recently where people who used to go to church and used to profess Christ are now contacting a medium to get in touch with a dead relative. Man, you are asking for deep trouble with that, okay? And you are breaking off the chains that are meant to protect you Okay, God's commandments are meant to protect you. Now, I'm not saying God's commandments are chains, but in this situation, that's what they would, could represent. And it says that no one had the strength to subdue him. This guy was supernaturally strong. Now, um, there is a, a, a tool in the Bible called chiastic structure. We've talked about it some, if you've been hearing me preach for a while. And it's a poetic device that, that people used back then. It's kind of like a sandwich. Bread, bread. Mayonnaise, mayonnaise, right? Amen for mayonnaise, right? Okay. And then, uh, like me, lots of mustard too. And then you may have lettuce, lettuce. And you may, and then, it, well, what's in the middle of the sandwich? The meat, okay? But you see that, that parallel there working its way in the middle. And Mark uses these all over the place. And I could spend just the whole message just showing you all the chiastic structures in this chapter, but I won't. But it is important to look at this one that he starts off by talking about an unclean spirit, he ends with talking about unclean spirit. Then he talks about the tombs, and in the middle, the mayonnaise, he talks about the tombs. And then he says how no one could bind them. And then you see, what is the meat of this sandwich? Fetters and chains, chains and fetters. Okay? The satanic world wants to bind you. They think that when they are 
licentious and free to be me and I can love whoever I want to love and be with whoever I want to be with and drink too much if I want to drink too much, try these drugs and do all those things. They think they have freedom. The truth is they're chained. Addiction is shackles and chains that limit you. Okay, and you, when, they, when the world entices you to say, hey, come be free, don't live under all those rules of the Bible, they're just deceiving you. Now, rules are good things, okay? You take a gymnast, she gets up at 4.30 in the morning, she goes to the gym, she works out hard for hours, then she goes home and she eats you know, a, a, a protein shake and vegetables, she can't be eating Snickers bars, she can't be having Bluebell and all that stuff, she's got to live by a strict regimen. But when she gets to the Olympics, and she does that triple flip and sticks the landing and wins the gold medal? What did, did the rules pay off or what? Who, who's free? When she can fly in the air and do all that she's doing, I'd say she's the one that's free. I'm bound here with these lead feet. I can't do all that stuff. So when you live by God's principles, don't let anybody tell you, oh, that's, you're just trying to hold me down and shackle me. No, your freedom comes through living with the guidelines of God's word. Um. And it talks about out of the tombs, and, and then it ends with the demon came out of the man. You see the difference? The guy came out of the tombs, but then later the demon came out of the man. You've heard this saying before, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Well, well evidently with Jesus, Jesus can not only take the man out of the tombs, he can take the tombs out of the man. When this guy came out of the tombs, the, the demons left him. He healed him. And God can bring real change into our lives. And that's what all of us need. Amen? So this guy was suffering. This wasn't just some episode that came for an hour and then left him. Night and day, this, these demons are by, bothering him. And he is crying out. He's not just sitting in the corner with tears trickling down. He's in torment. Okay? And let me tell you, the demonic world will be enticing at the beginning. It'll be pleasurable pleasurable what did Paul say there's pleasure in sin for how long a season it's fun okay but then it, it's like a trap that closes on you and you're like you're wishing you could get out you wish you had never started and he's cutting himself and we already talked about that to a bit and then when he saw Jesus from afar now what's interesting about that is afar I don't really know but typically in the Bible it's used to describe something like about 200 yards you know when they see something did Jesus look like everybody else? Absolutely he did. He was a Jewish man. He had a Jewish beard. He had, he had all the things. He wasn't the blonde-haired, blue-eyed sissy with the halo. It wasn't Jesus, okay? He was a rugged carpenter. And how does, and all these ships came across. Remember, there was a, basically a regalia of ships. So maybe there's 120 people getting out of the boats. Maybe, we don't know. But from afar, he's like, that's Jesus. Because he saw him with spiritual eyes. When you see the Lord, when he's revealed in the word of God, he's different than anybody else. People who don't love Jesus, who dismiss Jesus as, oh, he's a good teacher, or he's just a legend or a myth, they haven't gotten into the word to really see Jesus from afar because he can be seen from afar. And it says, crying out loud with a voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Now, in this passage, honestly, I don't know who the he is, okay, because there's... It's, it's very confusing, but I think it's, imper it's on purpose. Because when, you, when someone is demon-possessed, you don't know who's speaking, the demon or the man, or sometimes it's both. There's this like unhealthy overlap going on. But he says, what have you to do with me? But then later on you'll see about what do you have to do with us. So there's an overlap there. Jesus, son of the most high God. 
Did you know that even polytheistic religions around the world um, believe in a most high God? Like Hindus have tens of thousands of God, but they have that one God, and now his name escapes me. You know the one with the elephant trunk and all that stuff? He's the most high God amongst them. In all, in all the religions of the world they have, that, are, that have polytheism, they still believe that one God is above all the others. And the demons recognize that Jesus was it. He's the son of the Most High God. He said, I adjure you by God. Don't torment me. It's interesting. He knows who Jesus is, and he knows Jesus has the power to punish him for his, for his sins against humanity. So let's look at some observations about the demonic, okay? And again, serious issue here, so I'm not trying to tread lightly on this. There, and I, we could probably do 100 observations, but let me just share with you nine. Number one, the demonic world, the satanic, has an affinity or a love for death. It's no coincidence that heavy metal music and all those things like that are just obsessed with the dead. Whether it's Metallica or what is up with making pictures of Marilyn Manson and all these people who've died, making them look like skeletons and all that stuff like that. In fact, you even have the 27 Club. You've heard of them, right? Many of you have. These are all these people who supposedly made a pact with the devil and that they could live and be healthy, wealthy, and millionaires until 27 and then they're gone. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I do know that all these groups, and a lot of times people with tattoos, and again, I'm not saying all tattoos are evil. That's between you and God. But there is an obsession in the world with death tattoos. Things that are evil and wrong. You see this one shop left in the top right corner. That's her real tattoo. She's not, she's not dressed up for Halloween. But you see this obsession with death. And it is the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ calls us to be. John 10, Jesus says, the thief. Who's the thief? Satan, right? The thief. Satan comes only, not, not to do any good. He has three things he wants to do, and none of them are good. To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I'm the exact opposite. I have came, come that they may have what? Life. Christians should be obsessed with life. Living, healthy, being vibrant, and alive, and nothing to do with death. You see, remember the, remember the movie, the, the Lion King, Okay. A lot of good music in that film, but a lot of bad theology, okay? They talk about the circle of life and how, how death is a beautiful thing, you know? And, and uh, Simba is trying to teach the, what's the young cub's name? Or did I say it backwards? What? Mufasa, thank you. You guys are watching your Disney, good for you. Uh, Mufasa is explaining to Simba how it's really a beautiful thing, you know? We kill the antelope, you know, and then we die, and then we're, we're under the ground, and that grows the grass, and an antelope and comes and eats us because we're the grass. And that's just a beautiful circle of life. Death is horrible. Death stinks. Death. When Jesus went to the tomb, it says he cried aloud. He wailed. He was so angry with death because we were not intended to die. God created. It says man bre God breathed into man, Adam, the, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And the word living means they're eternally alive. We were not intended to die. What brought, it, what brought death into this world? Sin brought in death. Okay? So death is not a natural course of what God created. It's the consequence of sin. That's why Satan is so obsessed with it. Okay? And Jesus says, I'm obsessed with life. The second thing we see is that there's an overlap of speech between, with the host. Again, you, any demonic account you read in the Bible, it's really confusing and hard to see because Satan's the author of confusion. Who's actually talking? Because the person is conflicted. I want these demons gone, but leave me alone. Don't torment me. 
Can you help me, Jesus? But don't, don't, don't punch me now. And just this conflicted. And when you come across people who are under spiritual confusion, they don't know what they want. Can someone please help me, you know, be, uh, get free of this crack? But the next day, they're in love with the crack, you know? And then they're like, man, I really need to get my drinking under control. Hey, don't talk to me. I can quit any time. And it's just like it's back and forth, back and forth, and there's a lot of confusion, but God's not the author of confusion. Sometimes people will have multiple demons. Now, it said, we are legion, for we are many. A Roman legion was a battalion of soldiers, 5,626 soldiers, and they were broken into ranks and all that stuff. So we're talking thousands and something that occurred to me this week, I think I was reading someone who said this. Do demons tell the truth? No, they're known for lying. And maybe they were trying to intimidate Jesus. Oh, yeah, we're, we're thousands. Bring it on, buddy. They might have been four, you know? And that, that, who knows? I'm not But there were multiple, and they could have been thousands. I don't know. You know, theologians can debate how many demons can fit in one man. I don't know. Okay, there's spiritual beings, but not a problem. But it could be that they were, he was exaggerating, trying to intimidate Jesus. Again, that's just sanctified speculation. Number four, they have superhuman strength at times. Okay? And so you will, I've, I have not encountered this personally, but I've heard people who have encountered the demonic and have seen girls who were small, 14-year-old, just push men out of the way twice their size. I've seen all, I've heard of these things. I'm not surprised because it's, it's in the word of God. And this guy, you know, you, I can imagine the men of the village saying, hey, man, this guy is terrorizing the town. He's scaring our kids, whatever. Hey, the four of us, let's go. We're going to sneak up on him. I got the chains. You get up behind him. You grab his legs. Let's do it. And they, no, not anymore. They, they, I'm sure they tried. It said that they did. Number five, uh, they often increase in intensity. Remember, they, at one time they could bind them, but then they said they couldn't bind them anymore, which implied that, no more that there had been success number six man's solutions ultimately are ineffective you see people with spiritual problems they say we'll take a pill pills not gonna solve your problems okay there are some cases where some people have chemical imbalances and maybe a pill is necessary but i, I in my personal opinion say his personal opinion okay so i, I think probably 95 percent of prescribed medication is not necessary I think there's, there is a sometimes where necessary, but most doctors are like, oh, you're depressed, boom, here you go, prescription. It's like, you don't even get any counseling. What are you really depressed about? Maybe you need to stop having an affair on your wife. You wouldn't be so depressed. You know, sin does that to us, okay? I knew a guy who went in the hospital, and he was literally like paralyzed, and he couldn't move, and all he could do was shake. And he just stopped talking, and he was having a nervous breakdown, and, no, and he was there for days, and then finally Pastor Hudson went in and talked to him, and, and he said, is there something in your life? And the guy opened his mouth and said, I've been having an affair for five years. And all of a sudden he could speak again. The confession had come out. So these things, these things happen, but you can't just medicate everything. You can't just sit on a couch and listen to a psychologist charging you 150 an hour and say, well, how did that make you feel? Well, well how did that make you feel? Well, did your mom give you brownies when you were little? Oh, she didn't? Well, you poor thing. No wonder, you know? And then we just try to explain everything away with psychology. Number seven, self-mutilation is often present. Again, not, don't hear what I'm not saying. Not everybody who mutilates has a demon, okay? But I'm saying that it is a spiritual problem, and we can't solve everything with man's uh, attempts to fix it. We also see that they're repulsed by Jesus and his word. Whenever Jesus came around, demons trembled. 
They did not like it. They thought, oh no, is this judgment day? Are we fixing to be cast into the pit? They know their future. And, and what did Jesus do to rebuke Satan? He quoted scripture. If the Son of God quotes scripture, shouldn't we? We need to know the word of God and be familiar with it enough where we can quote it and use it in spiritual warfare. Number nine, apparently demons need permission for possession. Again, I, I'm not trying to be dogmatic on these things. I'm just making observations. But they seem to need permission for possession. It says, and they cried out, what have we to do with, what have we to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us? And this is in Matthew. Matthew's talking about the same account but giving different details because he's speaking to a Jewish crowd. Mark is speaking to a Roman crowd, so you'll see different details, no contradiction. But Matthew says, are you come to torment us before the time? A certain time in the future when Christ returns and at the end of his kingdom he will put all uh, the demonic in hell. Look at Revelation chapter 20. We can fast forward to the end of the book and see what happens. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. I always find it humorous that Jesus delegates things to angels to show that Satan, you're nothing. Man, here, angel number 25. Go get Satan. Put him in the the bottomless pit, you know. And he says, from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Bottomless. Okay? It, it is infinite in time and in space. So it just, what, do you, what would happen in a bottomless pit? What do, you're going to fall for eternity. Okay? You, Satan thinks he fell from heaven. He hasn't fallen yet until this happens. And it says, and a great chain. Interesting, the chain there is going on. This chain will bind him, where we couldn't bind this other guy. And he sees the dragon. And People read about the dragon revelation. Well, I think the dragon's this. I think the dragon's this. And John, anticipating through the Holy Spirit, I know people are going to get all confused, but I'm just going to tell you the dragon, it's the serpent in Genesis. It's the devil. It's Satan. They're all the same person, so don't be confused and try to come up with all your religious theories of who this is. It's all the same guy. And it says, they bound him for a thousand years. So when Jesus returns, he's going to bind Satan. And what's interesting is for a thousand years. Why? Why not forever? Well, it's a human experiment. It's a sociological test. He's going to prove to the world that you are not a product of your environment. See, that's what Freud tells you. You are just what's happened to you. It's not your fault, you know. And, 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 and Maslow and Young, all those psychologists will tell you, you're just a product of your environment. When people loot and burn down buildings, it's not their fault. It's because they're oppressed in the inner city. That's baloney. People, so here's what Jesus is going to do. For a thousand years, he's going to have a perfect world. He's going to be better than any president, any king, any emperor who's ever ruled the world. There will be no crime. There will be no disease. Lifespans will increase. We'll live forever. Children will be born in the kingdom, not to us, but to the people we're ruling over. And it will be a perfect world. And at the end of a thousand years, you know what he's going to do? He lets Satan loose for a season. And guess what happens? People get deceived and go right back to it from a perfect environment. The problem is not the world around you, but the heart within you. We're all rebels at heart. We're all like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm gonna, this is my life. I'm going to live my life my way. No, no, you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. Jesus bought you. He created you at the beginning, so he owned you by creation. He bought you on the cross, so he owned you by salvation. He owned you twice, twofold. He owned you in both accounts. And so then it goes on to say in Mark 5, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, Jesus, son of the most high God, this, these demons have good theology. 
professors at Berkeley don't believe Jesus is the most high, son of the most high God, but a demon knows. Even a demon can acknowledge what's obvious to the world and what's obvious in Scripture. In James 2, it says, you believe that God is one? Great. Good for you. So what? A demon does that too. Even the demons believe. In fact, they have they respect the shudder. Most human beings, they don't respect God. They don't shudder at God's presence. They, they call him the big man upstairs and, oh, you know, they just kind of act like he's just Santa Claus. And I prayed to him once. He didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm done with God, as if he, God's some cosmic vending machine. The demons, they respect God. They believe in God. But let me ask you a question. Are the demons saved? No. So here people believe in God. They believe in the true living God. They believe Jesus is God. They believe there's only one God. They believe he's all-powerful, but they're not saved. And there may be someone here this morning, you believe in God. You believe Jesus is God. You believe all that Jesus has done. You may know upstairs that he died on the cross for you, but you might be 12 inches away from being saved because you've never accepted him in your heart and made him the Lord of your life. So you have to be careful. Just having the intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is doesn't make you a born-again Christian any more than it does for a demon. It says, for he was saying. So Jesus was having this conversation, and, that's, and that, it was caused he said all this because Jesus said, come out of the man, and he's commanding him. And then the, he says, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so that speaks to the multiplicity there. And then it says, and he begged him, and here it is again, the man is begging. So we keep going back to they and he and they and he. And again, if it's confusing you, it's, it's on purpose. We're trying to show that demonic possession and oppression is confusing. And it says, they saw now, there's a great horde of pigs, okay? Um, pigs were worth a lot of money, okay? Um, the reason the pigs were worth so much money at this time is because Roman soldiers ruled the world, right? And you know what their favorite food was? Pulled pork. Yeah. Now, they may have been evil guys, but they had good taste in food. They liked, they liked their barbecue pig. And, and they, they, it was, they were feeding on the hillside right near this, these tombs because graveyards, we think of graveyards as flat. But in those days, you buried people in the hillside amongst the rocks. You'd find like a little cave. You'd put the body in there and you'd put a bunch of rocks around it. And that's the way. To, so pigs he ate on the hillside. People were buried on the hillside. It kind of, maybe there was some fertilizer involved. I'm not sure. Sorry, it'd be morbid there. But verse 12 says, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. They had to ask permission for this to happen. And it says, and he gave them permission. And so there was, a, there was approximately 2,000 pigs. So this is the first case of deviled ham. How many of you have eaten deviled ham before, okay? This is it right there. Good stuff, okay? Did they still make that? they still make deviled ham? I don't know. Anyway, so um, you see this several times where demons have to ask for permission. How does that happen? Now, let me make a clear distinction. There is a difference between demonic oppression and demonic possession, okay? In my opinion, and my, based on the Bible, not just my opinion, but based on the Bible, I believe a Christian cannot be demon-possessed but they can be oppressed, okay? Paul, the Apostle Paul, was, was um, afflicted by a messenger of Satan, and he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. We could discuss that later. But he asked the Lord three times for it to be taken away, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. I want to keep you humble because you've had more revelation than anybody else, and it could give you the big head, 
So I don't want you to flex. I want you to stay humble. So you're going to have this thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be. But it was a messenger of Satan. So Paul wasn't possessed by a demon or the demonic, but he was being bothered by it. And you, have, you can be too. And isn't it funny when, when God's doing a great thing in your life, you'll see things happen like your car break down and this, this, this. All these weird things happen all at once. Like, what's going on here? You know, it's like, why all this? You know, more bad things happen this weekend than all year. On the weekend, we're supposed to get married, or the weekend, we're supposed to do this, or whatever. It's something big God's doing in your life. Satan will try to, to foil it. So how does someone, let's say, so can a lost person be demon-possessed? Yes. Are all lost people demon-possessed? No. Thank you. Good for you. Um, so let's look at this. Scripture repeatedly relates idol worship to the actual worship of demons. So when people were worshiping Baal, who were they actually worshiping? Satan. When people were worshiping Dagog, Dagon, sorry, who were they actually worshiping? Yeah. When people worship Buddha, who are they actually worshiping? Okay. Yeah. Anything that's not God, that is another idol, is demonic. Okay. When you worship your 2021 Corvette, what is that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so when, when you worship the Houston Astros, uh-oh. <laughs> You know, and we can enjoy sports. I'm a big Astros fan, but some people take it way too far, right? Some people, that, it's their God. Some people, their spouse is their God. Their job is their God. You have to be super careful about that because we think that demon possession, oh, that's because you've been dabbling with a Ouija board or you've been doing a horoscope or you've been doing tarot cards. Can any of those introduce demonic in your life? Absolutely. But so can greed and lust and any of those idolatries, okay, they're all a problem. So it goes, and there's several scriptures there if you want to save that screenshot there. So it should not be surprising that involvement of the idolatry could lead to demon possession. Many people open their lives up to the demon involvement through embracing of more sin or through cultic involvement, either knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, there's a YouTube video about how to become demon possessed. And this girl's telling you how to do it. And I'm like... Okay, some people, believe it or not, do it knowingly, but most do it unknowingly. I also believe that because permission has to be given, I don't think you'll see a demon-possessed child. Now, you do see a young girl in the Bible, but I think she's old enough to have given permission somehow, but I don't think you'll see a demon-possessed child, just like they had to ask permission to go into the pigs. Why? The pigs didn't have the intellectual capacity to give permission. They were under God's creation, so God had to give them permission to go in the pigs. But you have free will. So therefore, you're the one that gives permission. And be careful how you do that. Be careful what you dabble in. It says that examples may include immorality, drug, alcohol abuse um, that alters one's state of consciousness. That's what's something else to be careful of. Rebellion is described as a sin as what? Witchcraft in, the Old Te in Deuteronomy. Even bitterness it says, don't be bitter in your hearts one towards another, lest Satan get a foothold. So when you hold a grudge against someone, you might as well be playing uh, with the Ouija board. They're both very, very evil. And even transcendental med meditation. Think about it. The Bible says to meditate, but to meditate how? On the word. Transcendental meditation and Hinduism and all those other, they say, empty your mind, empty your mind, and just say, om, om, or whatever. And when you're emptying, you're creating a vacuum for something else to come in. So be very careful about what you dabble in. Um, in verse 14, it says, And they fled and told into the city. Now, so here are these herdsmen. They're making mega bucks 
off of the, uh, the pigs. In fact, in today's market, a good pig that you can make pork chops with and everything off is worth approximately to a farmer approximately $1,000. So do the math. 2,000 pigs in today's money, $2 million. So the whole enterprise just went into the to this Sea of Galilee. So these guys ran and told in the city, and did they run and say, hey, man, Jesus just healed the paralytic guy. We've been trying for years to chain this guy, and he just solved the problem. No, Jesus just crashed our business. Man, Jesus took away my paycheck. I was going to buy six more camels, and now I can't buy squat because Jesus just did all that. They went and tattletailed on Jesus in the, in the country. And so the people in the town said, well, let's go out and see what happened. And it says, and they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man. They saw. And look at this. The demon-possessed man is just sitting there calm and chill. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And they're afraid. They weren't thankful. They weren't amazed. They weren't, oh, way to go, Jesus. You're awesome. They're like, oh, man. They were afraid because they were in the presence of a holy God, and whenever you're in the presence of holiness, you realize your sinfulness. And there's two things you can do when you're confronted with your sinfulness. You can repent and embrace the holiness, or you can rebel and flee from the holiness. And so that, that's where they were. They weren't impressed by Jesus. And so look at the, look at the, the th- four things we see about the demon-possessed man. He's sitting. That, it could have been standing, it could have been sitting. Why does Mark feel like he has to give us this detail that the guy is sitting? Because there's symbolism there. When someone is seated, they're at rest. They're peaceful. It's like when someone comes to visit your home and says, hey, have a seat. Make yourself what? At home. This guy's peaceful. He, before, what was he doing? Day and night, pacing back and forth through the tombs, cutting himself, crying on pain. He had no rest. And now, he has rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. He, and that's what, why they tell you that he's seated. He's clothed. It's interesting how the, 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 the satanic world has a lot to do with nakedness and a lot to do with, with immorality and all those things. But this guy is like, no, I'm clothed. And this is also a picture of be, us being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. He's been clothed. I don't know where, where, where do you get the, where, would, where does a demon-possessed man running around cutting himself naked get clothes? Jesus, yeah, Jesus said, hey, Thomas, let me have your cloak. And he robes the guy. Jesus may have taken off his own one and literally clothed him in his own righteousness. Man, wouldn't that be a beautiful picture? We'll have to ask Jesus when we get to heaven what, what exactly happened, whose robe it was. He's in his right mind. Okay, when you get saved, a lot of things, you don't get healed immediately always. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it's a sanctification process. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind, okay? You know, I, um, we need to be careful what we dabble in. All this stuff that's tr- designed to scare you, horror movies and stuff, you need to stay away from that. That has nothing to do with God. God wants you to, to be, enjoy things. I'm not saying don't watch movies. I'm saying be a little more picky about what we watch. And number four, they were afraid. You see, when, when, when they saw the miraculous supernatural change in this man's life, it made them scared. And you know that you, some of you have experienced this. At work, there's people who don't like you just because you're a Christian. 
Now, if you're one of those sanctimonious Christian jerks, then they shouldn't like you, okay? I don't like you either, okay? I love you, but I don't like you, okay? So don't be a jerk for Jesus. But when you're just doing your best to just love Jesus and do your best at work and do a good job, and people are like, oh, you just think you're better than us. I'm like, where did that come from? People, when they're confronted with holiness, even in you, have two choices. They can repent and turn and embrace the holiness, or they can rebel and flee and get angry about it. So it says, and those who had seen it, the, the herdsmen, right? They were the ones who saw it. They described to the crowd, the city people, what happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Now, it's interesting how they told the story. And you got two responses. You could have two responses. You'd be, wow, Jesus, you're awesome. Or like, wow, Jesus, you just wrecked our business. Get out of here. One set of facts, two reactions. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but you saw the, um, the Rittenhouse guy that was accused of murder. I, I had friends on fake, Facebook saying, oh, he's guilty. That's so horrible. So I know people saying, good for him. It was self-defense. And I'm like, and these are people I love and call brothers and sisters in Christ. And one story on the news, two sets of opinions. And it's funny, we got to be careful how we see things and we filter things with our own biases. These guys, what were they biased about? It was about that $2 million that just went into it. it it's a it's, it's sad situation here. And it says, and they began to beg Jesus, Jesus, please, please, just go. Would you please leave? Just, just depart. We don't want you here. And they're per- overlooking what they just did for this poor soul. You think they would have been thankful because not only did they help that man, they helped their town because evidently he was a nuisance where they wanted to try to chain him. The city, of, the city people valued the economy over the soul of a suffering man. Some of you oldest know enough to remember the 1992 election where George H. Herbert Walker Bush was president, not doing a great job, and some young guy named Bill Clinton came up out of nowhere, governor of Podunk, Arkansas, and, he, and they, they had one mantra that was over and over again. And James Carville, this funny-looking guy, said, it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. And George Bush was saying, we need to protect babies. We need to stand up for what's right. We need to do this. And, we need, and, I, and everybody's like, and Bill Clinton's like, are you better off than you were four years ago? You know, don't you want a bigger paycheck? And everybody's like, I'm voting for the economy. Forget morality. I'm voting for the economy. And so it's the economy, stupid. And that's why this the whole city rebelled against them. Jesus valued the soul of one unloved man more than the animals. Think about that. He let 2,000 pigs die, but it's indirectly. He just let, they asked permission to go into the pigs. He didn't say, hey, go drown yourself. The, the, the demons did that, but some people, I read one guy who's a professor at Oxford University saying, here's evidence that Jesus sinned because he killed, he killed private property and 2,000 animals. I'm like, the demons are the one that chose to run down the hill into the sea, but anyway, he loved them more than animals, which tells you we should appreciate animals, but they're not equal to people. Okay, sorry, Peter, but they're not equal to people. People are made in the image of God. Your dog is not. I love your dog. I have two dogs, okay? We can talk about whether they'll be in heaven or not, but let me tell you something. If my dog, Duchess, is, is drowning and a human being that I do not know is drowning, I'm saving the human being. Okay? I love my dog, but a human being is more valuable than any animal. And Jesus loved the, the guy more than the animal. He loved him more than the, the, the economy. And Jesus did this knowing this would make him really unpopular. He did this knowing that people say, hey, get out of here, Jesus, get out of here. And he's the one that came over to the other side to preach the gospel 
But you know he had a plan B. We'll tell you about that here in just a second. So a boat ride across the sea, $75. 2,000 pigs, $2 million. Salvation for a demon-possessed man, priceless. Jesus saves souls. And this is a miracle here. This, this, the saving. Now, think about what Jesus has done already. He's cast out demons. He's healed lepers. He will raise the dead. He's fed thousands. But let me tell you something. The salvation of one soul is the greatest miracle of all. And forget all those other things. Jesus had his values right, and so should we. And it's interesting. It says, so there's a whole lot of begging going on in this. Have you noticed that? Four times people are begging Jesus for something. The, de- the, demons, the, the, demonic, the de- demon-filled guy is begging. The demons themselves are begging to go into the pigs. The people are begging Jesus to leave town. And here the guy who just got saved begged him, can I please follow you? And says, Jesus did not permit him. Do you see something weird going on here? Demon-possessed man. Okay, yeah, do whatever you want. Demons. Can we do this? Yeah, go do whatever you want. The crowd's like, Jesus, leave. Okay, I'll leave. The guy who just got saved says, Jesus, can I follow you? No. It, sometimes when Jesus says no to our prayer requests, it's not because we're like, why do you do all this for all these other people, not me? He had something better in mind, and here's what it was. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So really, if, if apostle means sent one, here's the first apostle to the Gentiles. Long before Paul the apostle, who called himself the apostle of Gentiles, this guy was sent to go back and, now watch what he said. Go home and tell who? Your friends. But what did he do? <laughs> it's, so here we see that the demon-possessed guy begged him, okay? And that the, the, the demons as a crowd begged him. The town begs him. And this guy begs Jesus that he might be with him. And there's the paradox. That he said yes to all the wrong crowd, but he said no to the right crowd. But again, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. So you may have someone you know that is dying of cancer. And you are more than right to pray that God would let them live. But be careful to also pray what Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. I had a a friend, uh, Kenny, Kenny Gilming, and he had a son up in Springfield, Missouri, who was is an outstanding, very outspoken Christian young man at his high school. And everybody in high school, including the teachers and all the students, knew that, hey, man, he's a Jesus freak, and he's kind of weird about the Bible, but, man, he's a good football player, and he practices what he preaches. And then one night after a big football game where they won, he was going to join a bunch of friends somewhere to celebrate, and a drunk driver hit him head on and killed him. And my friend Kenny struggled. He's like, Lord, I've been preaching the gospel my whole life. I haven't done all these other evil things. My son's been a good guy. He's been sharing the gospel with his high school. And even a preacher who loved the Lord could say, Lord, why did you let this happen? And then he had the difficult task to preach his own son's funeral. And the entire high school showed up. And 260 kids trusted Christ as Savior. So, yeah, give the Lord a hand. So that. Now, would we ask, would we ask that our son would die in an accident in order for 265 kids to get saved? 
But do you realize the Heavenly Father allowed His Son to die so that millions could be saved? You see, we have to be careful what we ask for. And we think that sometimes when God says no, we're getting the raw end of the deal. But really, this guy was getting the great end of the deal. It says he went out and he began to to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now, let's just do a little language here. Deca means what? Who knows? Ten. Opolis, like the metropolis, means what? Cities. The ten cities. So there was ten cities kind of in a cluster. Kind of if you went down here and you did Santa Fe, Dickinson, Texas City and Lamarck and all that stuff. And there was 10 local, there's a cluster. This guy went basically down to Southern Brazoria County and preached the gospel. Everybody said, hey man, I was demon possessed. But what did Jesus tell him? Just go home and tell your friends. Man, if, the, if you talk about going the extra mile, this guy went all over the place to 10 cities, not just his hometown and not just his friends. He went everywhere and look at this, everyone marveled. Not everybody believed. But everybody marveled. And I'm sure many did believe. So where did Jesus ask him to go? But where did he actually go? And this is what Jesus is teaching us. Man, just don't just do what is the minimal requirement. It says he went away and began to proclaim to the capitalists that everyone was, was mar- marveled. Now, how does this affect me? How does this affect you? What does this look like on Monday morning? Look at this verse carefully and then watch here. We need to proclaim how much Jesus has done for you. That's, that's your mission in life. Is this talk, Tell people about how much Jesus has done for you. Don't tell them why they're wrong and don't debate all these other issues and don't get into politics. Just say, hey, all I know is I know Jesus and he loved me even though I was a horrible sinner. And he, he saved me. He can save anybody. You see, what, what do, what's the common complaint against us as Christians? Oh, you think you're better than us. You're more holy than thou. You know, what we need to say is, no, man, I, I'm more sinful than probably you are. I just found someone who saved me, and I just want to share what all the marvelous things Jesus has done for us. So what has Jesus done for you? Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love. Everybody say great love. love. What the great love with he has loved us. I mean, to love me, that takes a great love, okay? To love some of you, that takes, that takes a great love, okay? God loved all of us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He loved us. And even when we were dead, dead spiritually, in our own sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Just like Christ raised from the dead, everyone who's trusted him from Savior will someday be raised from the dead. And you have been raised from the dead in your spirit, man. You, you are seated with Christ. Just like that man was seated in the tombstones, when you're saved, you're seated at the right hand of Christ. You are seated in the heavenlies. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't want to ask you this morning if you're religious. I could care less if you're religious or not. My question you for this morning is, do you know Jesus? The demons know about Jesus. They got their theology straight. But if you trusted him to be your Lord and your Savior, to forgive you of all your sins and give your life to him, have you made that decision? I would like for everybody to just do something for me. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and I want believers to pray and ask God to peel back the blindness that Satan puts over people's eyes. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not truly saved, you're not following him, you could do so here today. You could be like the townspeople and the herdsmen saying, Jesus, just go away. I don't want to deal with you right now. 
because of money, because of your lifestyle, because of rebellion in your heart. Or you could be like the, de the demon-possessed man and just be sitting clothed in your right mind today by trusting him as your Savior. You could pray a prayer, something like this. The prayer doesn't save you. Just communicating by faith in your heart. You could say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all the things I have done wrong. I'm thankful that you died for each one of them and you took my punishment, my cross, in my place. And you were buried and you rose again. You live today. I want to live forever with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. I make you the Lord, the boss of my life. In your name I pray, amen. If you're watching, watching online or you're here in person, you made that decision, please let me know. I would love to just celebrate with you your, your newfound life in Christ. And so you can text me right there or call me anytime. Um, is Amanda in here? Amanda? Okay. So Tori, would you like to help me? Yeah. So if you have questions, you can text them in. Looks like some are coming in even right now. Okay, and she's going to use this mic right here. And if you don't want to text in or if you're not getting reception, feel free to, to raise your hand. We'll do some question and answer right now. chosen and it struck me how Jesus' ministry drew such large crowds. I was reading recently that the Gospels are really our only account of Jesus' life. Why aren't there more accounts of his life ministry given the large number of people impacted during his ministry? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So there are accounts by secular sources um, Oh, man, his name just went in my head and back, right back out again. Um, Josephus, thank you very much. Josephus was a Jew who did not accept Christ as Messiah, was paid by the Roman authorities to record history. And he records lots of stuff about Jesus. Okay, so he's not a legend. He's recorded in secular history. And there's other accounts like his, like that. But think about this. Who's, who is the God of this world? Who's the little G God of this world? Satan. So he runs the news media. He runs the, the, the entertainment. He runs history. And the recording of history, so do you think he wants Jesus to be proliferated? No, he doesn't want. So a historian has a chance to write about Jesus or not write about Jesus, and he's not a believer. He's like, eh, let's just skip that part. So, and also, most of what we know about church history, we know through the Catholic Church because they were the dominant force and the political power under the Roman Empire, and they're persecuting Christians. So do you think Christians in the catacombs have time to record history? Probably not, okay? So... Most of what you hear and see today is very biased. If you ask, let me give you an example. If you ask the average person on, on the street, did America win the Vietnam War? What, mo what would most people say? No, we won. We won. It's a historical fact. We won the Vietnam War. We left South Vietnam with all the, everything they needed, all the weapons they needed, and, and then we pulled out. And then when we got back, Congress defunded Vietnam and took away all their money. And so the North just said, okay, war's back on, and they rolled back in. So, but hey, we won the war, but then we abandoned, just like we abandoned Afghanistan. It's sad. But anyway, I don't want to get political. Is there a set amount of demons and angels, or do their numbers multiply? Um, let me answer the second part. Do they multiply as in, are they increasing? No. Um, God created the heavenly host, and then we know that one-third rebelled under Satan. One-third of what? We don't know. Okay? Could be one-third of three billion and so therefore a billion angels rebelled, and therefore now demons. I have no idea what the number is. The Bible does. It says a heavenly host, which is 
a great number. Um, I would say it's less than the number of people, but that's just my own opinion. Um, a, a question that I often get, and I bet it may come up, is why can't demons get saved? Um, for the same reason that the, the two-thirds angels that are good can't get lost. It's because when that happened, evidently, the angelic beings had free will for a certain point. And then when they rebelled and there was the war in heaven, which lasted that long, okay, there was not really a war, much of a war. God just cast them out. Because Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like the speed of light, boom, he was out of heaven. Like there, he was like, God, let's fight, boom. What am I doing down here? It's like there was no battle. Anyway, God cemented their decisions. You guys rebelled, you will suffer for all eternity. You guys obeyed, you'll be obedient for all eternity. But with man, we have free will. But once we're in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom, your decision to follow Christ will be sealed just like the angel's decision was sealed. So it doesn't mean a million years from heaven, a million years from now in heaven, there'll be a rebellion all over again. All the decisions will be sealed, and that's what we see from Scripture in the eternal state. Good question. Looking at the big picture of our story, God retains two-thirds or the majority of angels. We can't tell for sure, but it seems that, and the word points to, the majority of humans have not chosen to follow God. From a numbers viewpoint, is this a win, or is this proof that God doesn't really care about the numbers, that he cares about the individuals and will go to extreme lengths to redeem us? Wow, what an insightful question. That's really a good one. Um, wow. Okay, so let me follow their thought. So the majority of angels were obedient, but the majority of humans are not. That's interesting. I don't, I'm not sure what to take from that. And what was the second part of that? Um. Is it a win, I yeah. think, right? Okay. Man, that's a deep question, and I don't have a great answer for you. I will just say this. Um, God loves everybody, okay? But it's, it's just further proof that often when you're right, you're in the minority. And even God is showing, just because I didn't win the vote of humanity doesn't mean I'm not God, okay? So it, it not, God isn't offering us a democracy, you know? Okay, the majority wins. Okay, y'all, well, everybody goes to hell. It's not that way. He's willing to have his elect that he's saving and he's chosen from the foundations of the world, and we are always going to be in the minority, okay? Um, so we don't want to, our job is not to make America a Christian nation. I mean, at one time, I think it was very founded on Christian principles, but there's never been a time in the history of America where the majority of people are Christians. There was a time when the majority of people went to church, and we saw what that produced, you know? So, I mean, the very people who were wearing nice ties and short hair produced the hippie generation, Okay, so they, the, the hippies got tired of the hypocrisy of their Christian parents. So don't ever, God doesn't need a majority to feel good about eternity, and neither do we. So, you know, there may come a day when there's half the people in church right now, and it becomes less and less popular to go to church, and we're just going to still be right, because we're, not because we're right, but because the Word of God is right. Do dogs go to heaven, or do they go to a different place? <laughs> okay, um, Disney says yes. <laughs> um, I, Ashley says yes. Okay, so I have two answers, okay? And you can pick whatever one you think is right, okay? Um, it says that God breathed into mankind the breath of life, and it became a living soul. 
He didn't breathe into animals. Now, according to Ecclesiastes, a dog has a spirit, right? Your dog can be happy, sad, mad, envious, jealous, spoiled, right? He has a spirit, but he doesn't have a soul. So therefore, he will not live for eternity. Now, having said that, because I don't know the answer, I think it could be just like God to show up in heaven going, Duchess, wow, I can't believe it. You know, I don't know. But it would only be because he made an exception or something like that. I think there's probably something a lot better than your dogs in there. Yes, Bob? Yeah. So, oh, so, yeah, part B of that question is, are there animals in heaven? Yes. The question is, will your animal be in heaven? Probably not. Okay, sorry. All right. Have you or anybody you know had personal experience with demonic possession? Um, so I was around a guy one time that I think was demon-possessed. Okay? I, I felt the darkness. I could see the darkness in his eyes, and it was just very creepy. He didn't say I'm demon-possessed. I didn't ask him. It was a short encounter, and then he was gone. Okay? Um, I do know a guy, some of you guys know from Lighthouse. Um, I won't say his name. Um, but he picked up a guy on the side of the road that was stranded. And don't, don't, I don't advise to do that, okay? But people used to pick up hitchhikers. And this guy had like a hood on and everything like that. And he picked him up. And, they, and, they, and he said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, good. And he just kind of sat there. And he said, he just filled this really creepy vibe, like that the guy wasn't talking. He said, where can I take you? And he said, I just need to go down the road a few miles. I'll show you where. And uh, they're driving down the road. He's trying to make conversation. The guy is not talking. And then they pulled over. And he said, okay, well, here you are. And the guy pulled back his hood and looked at him. And his just eyes look evil. And he goes, I'm just really sorry about what's going to happen to your family. And he got out of the car. And after that, their family fell apart, just fell apart. And it was like this guy was an evil messenger saying, we're fixing to attack your family. I don't, that was a close friend of mine that I fully trust, and he shared that story. Now, again, here's the, and I meant to say this in the message, but um, people go to extremes, right? We want balance. The scripture's balanced. We don't want to look for Satan under every rock. Satan's in the microphone. Satan's in the drums. You know, people used to preach that. I mean, bringing rock and roll in church, well, was, Satan was in the drums, and Satan's in this, and uh, and then Satan's behind every rock, every, every addiction, everything is blamed on the spirit of this, the spirit of that. I mean, there was a church on television, they were casting out a demon out of a wart. I have a wart on my finger here. And they, the spirit of warts was being cast out. That's ridiculous. And then people go to the other side, like there's no supernatural. That's all past or it's never happened. We got to be balanced because the scripture's balanced, okay? Jesus made a distinction between healed the sick and the possessed, which shows that he's saying not all sickness is possession, He's, he, so we have to be balanced on that. We can't underestimate Satan, but we can't overestimate him. Okay? All right. Um, did I, so I answer it? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, there's four more. Wow, y'all are on fire this morning. Is death a painful truth and life is a beautiful lie? Death is a painful truth, yes, but life is not a beautiful lie. Life, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Death is true, but it's not the truth. And since we have so many questions, I'll leave it at that. Next one. How can we protect our children from demon, demon oppression or possession? Um, keep them away from the satanic things. I mean, if, if bands are obviously saying, 
Metallica, and, they, and they're talking about pictures of hell, and ACDC sings about Highway to Hell, and I realize all this stuff is old school, and horror films that are just demon-possessed, Freddy Krueger and all that stuff, and Chucky Bay. Why? Why? Let's say it has nothing to do with demon-possession. It's just bad entertainment. Why would you want your kids? I know an adult who is, under, who is 30 years old who still has trouble sleeping at night because they watched so much horror films when they were a kid. Just don't go near that stuff. But here's the, here's the broad answer. We need supernatural help. All of us do. And so we can cry out to God, or we can say, well, is there anybody else out there? And when you say anything else, tarot cards, lust, idolatry, greed, anger, you're saying, God, I don't need your supernatural help. I want somebody else's supernatural help. You're going to get it. And so and several times the main point was there has to be permission given. And when you open yourself for, up to the supernatural world and it's not Jesus, you're saying, you're opening the door of your heart saying anybody's welcome to come in. And that's what, that, you need to protect your kids from that. Get them in the word of God. Teach them the scriptures. Uh, Paul told Timothy that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation. Your kid gets saved, they'll never be possessed. Why did the demons run into the lake? Were they free to find another host? Yeah, that's a great question. And another thing that, that was in the passage is they begged them to not make them leave the area. And I guess because that area was so demonic, they, they thrived there. But why did they ask to go in? They're parasites, okay? They have to have a living host. So whether it's human or swine, they wanted to do something as a temporary mode. But then, my, my theory, and it's just my theory, I think they wanted to throw Jesus under the bus. They asked permission to go into the swine, and then they, they destroyed the $2 million economy. So everybody would say, oh, Jesus, go away. I think that's my opinion as to why. And then... Was there a second part of that? So somebody just sent one more in after this one. Jesus died for the sinners. Please elaborate. Jesus died for sinners. Okay, so Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Every crime deserves a punishment. And your crime of sinning against God, of saying, even though you made me, I'm not going to let you run my life, you deserve to die. God is holy. He has to punish sin. If, a ju- if someone killed your relative, murdered him cold blood, and you went to the courtroom to see justice, and the judge said, I know you killed this person, but you know what? I just forgive you. Go on. You would be outraged and think that's a horrible judge because he did not punish sin. So God can't just be a bad judge, but he's also a loving father. So God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, because he's the one that died on the cross. So Jesus took your death penalty and paid it for you. But people are stubborn enough to say, no, I'm good. I don't need it. After Jesus did all that. So, all right. Is that, and then Rick, you had a question. Yes, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go thereby. And narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting, and few there be that find it. So he knew. He knew. And that's why, you know, even before the foundations of the world, he knew, and he's sovereign, yet at the same time, you've got choice. And I that one I can't compromise my little brain, but uh, it's true. Exactly, yeah. If, you're, if you are one thing at church and another thing at home, that's going to undercut your testimony. But can any of us be perfect at home? No, so here's, here's big parenting lesson 101. Whenever you fail, you apologize. Parents who apologize still have their kids' hearts. Parents who buck up and are proud, like, don't tell me what to do, that's when they get the rebel. Okay, there's one more. Last one. So. <laughs> Are there accounts of an angel appearing to someone in modern age, not like the angel to the three shepherds? 
there are accounts. I don't know how biblical they are. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, Paul said, you know, be careful that you, when you entertain strangers, you might be entertaining an angel unaware and not aware. So, yes, I don't want to dismiss that, that possibility. I'm skeptical, growing up Catholic, that there were so many accounts of things that weren't biblical. And so doesn't Satan have ministers of light and appear as an angel of light? So be really careful. First uh, John says, test the spirits. If you have any type of appearance to you, you better compare it to the Bible. And if they're saying something totally different than the Bible, then you say, forget you, <laughs> get lost. Did you, you want to read something interesting, and this last thing I'll say. Read the account of Joseph Smith and the angel that started the Mormon church, and read the account of the angel with Muhammad and the start of Islam. They're almost identical, almost identical, scary identical, and those weren't God's angels, those were demons. All right, hey, let's stand and um, go to that last slide for us. We're going to read a scripture as God's blessing over us together. Would you read with me Numbers 624? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.